So we're going to continue on in our study in the gospel according to Luke. And really what this is, is the life of Jesus as recorded by Luke, the physician. Some people have referred to him as the historian. And this is really a historical account after much, much research uh, from, the, from Luke. And with the intention, of course, in, in helping us have all the information we need to be confident in the things that we have been taught. So if you turn with your Bibles uh, with me to Luke chapter 2, we're going to be looking at verses 41 to 52. Luke chapter 2, verse 41 to 52. And if you don't know where the Gospel of Luke is, in the beginning of your Bible, there's a table of contents. Go ahead and use it. It's going to help you figure out where things are in the Bible. So Luke chapter 2, verse 41 to 52. And just for our immediate time right here, I'm going to read verses 41 uh, to, let's say, oh, well, 41 and 42. Here's what it says. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of Passover. When, the 12, when he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. Let's pray together. Lord God, I thank you so much for our time here. And I pray, Lord, that as we're looking into this historical account on, on your time here on earth, I pray, Lord, that we would be a people who have eyes that see, ears that hear, and hearts that are open to what you have for us today. In your name I pray, Lord. Amen. So, Luke does a great job for us in chapters 1 and 2 at kind of giving us a lot of amazing affirmations about who Jesus is and was and all that was to kind of circle around him in terms of what the description of what his life was going to be like and, and about. And so we're given a glimpse in this next section of a 12-year-old, a 12-year-old Jesus who confuses his parents. He amazes religious leaders, and I would say even still amazes a lot of people today, myself included. But I think it's important for us to understand that as we're looking at verses 41 to 52, that this is not a section of the scripture on parenting. That's not what this is. I know some people have tried to go there with it uh, in the past, and, and though you can talk about Mary and Joseph as parents if you'd like, that's not what the primary emphasis of the passage actually is. The emphasis is given to uh, to give us a perspective and an understanding uh, on the life of Jesus in his early years and draw within us this uh, movement towards a greater faith. So that's kind of what's happening here. So you got chapter one and, and most of chapter two, which are all uh, preludes to the coming of Jesus. It is then, of course, the coming of Jesus and the acknowledgement of his role. And then it leads us here. So we move from his birth and, and his uh, dedication to the Lord. Now we're looking 12 years later, bringing up to this point. And so in Luke chapter 2, verse 41, we see here that his parents went to Jerusalem every year. Every year they went up to Jerusalem for the fall uh, for the festival of Passover, which is of course in the spring. Now, when they talk about the idea of them going to Jerusalem every year, there's a couple of things to bear in mind here. Uh, and we're just gonna dive right in because there's so much to cover in this section, but, but a couple of things to bear in mind here. One of those things is that women were allowed, but they weren't actually required to observe the Passover uh, in the way that we're seeing happen here. Jewish men who live within 20 miles of Jerusalem were required to attend Passover annually, while others, aspire to do it at least like once um, in, in a lifetime, really. The fact that both Joseph and Mary make this trip to Jerusalem 
every year signals their deep piety because they lived more than 20 miles away from Jerusalem in terms of where Nazareth was uh, in comparison to Jerusalem. As a matter of fact, the road to Jerusalem, there are two roads you could take. There was the, um, the, the, the road that went directly through Samaria and then the road that went uh, bypass Samaria so that you wouldn't have anything to do with the Samarians. And at this point in Israel's history, Samaria was still um, this, this people grouping that were deemed unfaithful to God. They were deemed unclean. They were um, avoided at, at all costs. And, and you could say that there was hostility between these two groups. And so what would often happen for people who were coming from Nazareth going over to Jerusalem, they would bypass the route through Samaria to such a degree that it, and remember they're walking, that it would be an additional 15 miles. And so they would kind of scoot over to the Jordan River, walk down along the Jordan, and then come back over towards Jerusalem. This talks about their deep piety. Their piety meaning that they wanted to be clean, they wanted to be steadfast for the Lord, and they wanted to be about the things that the Lord was about. And so Luke will tell us of Jesus' circumcision and dedication as well as Mary's purification, which also confirmed their observance to the law, right? And we had that when we looked at verses 21 to 40. But Luke also shows us Jesus' openness later on in the Gospel of Luke to tax collectors, to sinners, Gentiles, but first, he shows us Jesus' deep roots in a highly observant Jewish tradition. Jewish males are obligated to keep three festivals according to Deuteronomy 16, verse 16, Exodus 23, 14 to 16, and verse, chapter 34, verse 23. So you have the festival of unleavened bread. You have, or, or, the, or Passover. And actually, these are two different festivals that are closely uh, connected to each other in terms of time frame, but Passover is the one, unleavened bread. Uh, you have the festival of weeks, which is uh, in the Christian calendar considered Pentecost. And then you have the festival of booths, which is the festival of tabernacles. And this is a significant journey uh, from Nazareth. It's about 60 miles, 100 kilometers as the crow flies, uh, and even further uh, by road, requiring several days travel in each direction in addition to a full week uh, spent in Jerusalem. So this trip involves a significant commitment of time and of money. It's a, it's a two-week vacation, you could say, or a pilgrimage. It's an expensive pilgrimage for Joseph and Mary, and it's also an act of true devotion. I mean, these were faithful, dedicated children of God. And Luke is gonna tell us about two additional visits that Jesus will make to Jerusalem later on at the beginning of his ministry where the devil takes him to Jerusalem to tempt him and throw himself down from the pinnacle of the temple. Uh, that's Luke chapter 4 verse 9. Uh, at the end of his ministry, Jesus will visit Jerusalem again for the Passover in chapter 9 at, uh, through 19. And while there, he will cleanse the temple, he will be crucified, he will rise again from the dead, and he will appear to the disciples. So this is all kind of taking place here, that they're moving from uh, Nazareth to Jerusalem, they're, they're walking forward in terms of what the customs are of the Old Testament law, where they are to go and really go on this pilgrimage to experience these different festivals. Luke, 40, uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 42 to 45, read this way. They say, When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. 
After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for the day. They began looking for him among his relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. So he's 12 years old. This is an important thing. Jewish boys came of age uh, and became men once they achieved puberty. And it was typically around 12 to 13 years old. Now, this is what's really important. Uh, Once they became men, they were on to take on the trade of their father. The awarding of adulthood on the child would later become uh, sort of this formal ceremony that maybe you've heard of before. It's called a bar mitzvah. And for young women, it's called the bar mitzvah. And it's actually first recorded as, a, as an official uh, formal ceremony back in the 13th century in France. Um, so we don't actually have it recorded here. What we do have an understanding here is that there was the father's um, acknowledgement of adulthood on, on their children. It says they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast in verse 42. Um, given that his parents attend Passover every year in Jerusalem, Jesus surely made this journey a number of times in the past. It's an annual event. He's 12 years old. This is something that he's not unfamiliar with. And when they had fulfilled the days as they were, sorry, and when they had fulfilled the days as they were returning. And so Passover observance is lasts for eight days. This is Leviticus chapter 23, verse 5 to 6. And pilgrims are not obligated to stay for the full eight days, but many do. And it's pretty clear from this particular narrative, narrative that um, Joseph and Mary decided they were staying the full time. Again, speaking to their piety, to their commitment to the Lord. And it says here, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. So traveling by a caravan, men tend to gather with other men, women with other women, and children tend to play together. But everyone's traveling in this large caravan. And so it's not difficult to imagine how Joseph and Mary could assume that Jesus was present within the caravan. I know some of us are looking at this saying, well, how could you not know where your kid is? You need to remember that that back then, 12 years old was considered You know, you're you're moving into adulthood at this point. You could be counted on. There was a responsibility or a sense of responsibility placed on on that person. And so to assume that he was within the caravan was a very natural assumption. This isn't lack of parenting. This isn't uh, Jesus being in any way disobedient. This is just simply what was understood to be a normal practice of the day because people would travel in large groups, uh, often family groups and friend groups, when they're traveling to these festivals. Joseph and his mother uh, didn't know where Jesus was. Like, they didn't realize that he wasn't there. So you might ask, you know, how could they overlook the absence, right? Or where Jesus would find food and lodging for three days. But Luke's greater purpose in the story is to let us know that Jesus, even as a boy, understood that he had this unique identity and mission. So it says here, when they didn't find him, verse 45, when they didn't find him, they went to Jerusalem to go looking for him. So they they must have been frightened and probably a a bit angry at this point, right? Like, please, dear God, would be part of the thinking. And I'm guessing the other part of the thinking was, wait till I get my hands on him, right? But they were on their way back to their house. And when they find Jesus, we find that Jesus was in his father's house. And there is this, it seems as though there is this distinction that's taking place now. The indication is Jesus was now moving into the things of his father. Remember, at 12 years old, uh, young men would start taking on the 
the career path and, and the vocation, the trade of their dad. And so Jesus here, talking about the idea that he would be in his father's house. We'll see that in a few moments. In verse 46 to 47, after three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking questions. And everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. So it happened after three days, right? They find him in the temple. They don't know whether their trip or the return trip constitutes part of three days. Like we don't have all the answers in there in terms of how long Jesus was in Jerusalem. But it is possible that they searched in Jerusalem for three days before finding him. He was sitting with these teachers. They were asking him questions. He was asking them questions. Uh, and, and Jesus isn't teaching these teachers, but rather he's listening and asking questions. And teachers rejoice in finding a student who asks good questions. Questions and answers are kind of the staple Jewish teaching at this point. These teachers have, had many, have heard many of both. And so when they encounter Jesus, they're seeing something different. Now, this is the interesting part about it. Uh, we know that the, that the Jewish education system became quite formalized in terms of instruction, um, like schools kind of idea. Uh, it's somewhere between or in or around 75 to 78 uh, BC. There's a rabbi, he became the president of the Sanhedrin, and he felt that it was critically important, and he was actually quite a pious guy, and he felt it was critically important that young children would be able to carry on the understanding of the Torah and to learn these things. And so he mandated that every major city in the synagogue would have this opportunity for students to sit and learn. So that was across the board, and that's called Bet Sefer. Bet Sefer. Um, and, and so you have then this next phase of that, which is called Bet Midrash. Now, Bet Midrash, which is uh, a significant time of study within a young person's life, um, that didn't actually become formalized until after Jesus in terms of our historical records that we're aware of. But this language here is that like in the temple courts, he's sitting with the scribes and the teachers of the law, and they're asking questions, and he's asking questions, and, and that bed midrash is that way of teaching. And so it seems here that there is this, this idea that the bed midrash was to some extent taking place here. Um, and it says here, all that heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. So Luke establishes that Jesus, even as a child, demonstrates the promise that will blossom into real wisdom and authority. For example, later, people will praise Jesus for his teaching in the synagogues. They will be amazed at his gracious words that come from uh, the mouth of this local boy. They will be astounded that he teaches with such authority. Jesus will open the disciples' minds to understand the scriptures. And so there's a lot of things that are taking place here that give us an indication of what's to come. In Luke chapter 2, verse 48 to 51, it says, When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us this, like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? Asked, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then they went down to Nazareth with them. He went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. So the people who heard Jesus were amazed. 
They were amazed at his wisdom and his, and his answers and his questions. But Mary and Joseph are astonished, and to some extent, you can see in the narrative here, in the dialogue that they're having, that they're somewhat astonished at, at what they would seem to be, or what they would deem to be, a lack of consideration for them. Son, why have you treated us this way? Your father and I were anxiously looking for you. And so Mary's question hints at the anguish that she must have felt when she discovered that Jesus was missing. I mean, who hasn't had that feeling? If, you're, if you feel like you can't find your child, of course you're going to become anxious. And then he says to her, well, didn't you know that I need to be in my father's house? Now this verse reveals the central purpose of, his, of the story, which is to acknowledge that Jesus is the Son of God, a fact that was first told to Mary by the angel in chapter 1, verse 35 of the Gospel of Luke, and soon affirmed by God at Jesus' baptism, who we're going to come up to in chapter 3. And Jesus will also speak of God as his Father in the later chapters of the Gospel of Luke. And he, and he says here, like, didn't you know that I must? And, and the word here for I must, or the language here, it, it means like it is absolutely necessary. It implies a godly requirement that he would be there. And so Jesus would use this word repeatedly to reflect his obligations um, and to, to describe his, his mission, right? He said, I must preach the good news. The Son of Man must suffer many things. I must go my way today. Um, but first, I must suffer many things. So I must be in my Father's house. And I want you to note the play on words here that's reflected in the term Father. Mary refers to Joseph as Jesus' father. Jesus refers to God as his father. And this is significant because what you find is here, Jesus at this point declaring the focus that he's now going to have. He very gently but very definitively takes the name of father from Joseph and he gives it to God. That's huge. Some scholars treat Jesus' words in verse 49 as a rebuke of his parents, but I think it should be noted that Jesus very quickly became, uh, you could say, submissive in verse 51. It's likely that Jesus is surprised rather than disapproving of Mary's question. And then it says they didn't understand uh, what he was saying to them. In the very beginning, Gabriel told Mary that he will be great and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever there will be no end to his kingdom. Now Mary doesn't have our advantage of hindsight. She doesn't have the Gospels that she can go and read about and, and read through to be able to understand the life of Jesus at this point, how it will unload, unfold, what it will mean, how it will end. Jesus' ministry will be quite different from that which is expected of the Messiah, and so Mary must be confused. And then it says he went down with them and came to Nazareth. Went down, uh, these are in the true in, true in two senses. Like in the first sense, Jerusalem is on a mountain. And so when they talk about the idea of going up to Jerusalem, it's, it's both physical, but it's also a spiritual thing. Like to go up, you're going geographically to high ground, but also it's the site of the temple, which is spiritual high ground. And so Jesus going down to Nazareth mirrors the going up to Jerusalem that you find in the beginning of the story in verses 41 and 42. And these two phrases, they kind of form this, these brackets around the story, making its beginning and its ending. 
Now, all of this stuff is, is, is certainly context and helping us understand what's all going on here. And there are a lot of things that we can derive from this. But here's the piece of the, of the narrative that I personally find the most interesting. Uh, so much so that it's a passage of scripture that means a, a great deal to me in terms of the, the notion of what it means to be a person who follows Jesus and is in, in process, is growing. In Luke 2.52, it says, And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and among men. And this is not a, um, a language that's completely unfamiliar. We see that earlier it talks about the idea that he grew in wisdom and stature. Jesus didn't spring fully formed out of the womb. He grew. And here we see Jesus at age 12 coming to grips with his identity and his calling, right? Like he's moving into the things that are about his father, his father's house. Remember that when a child moves from being a child to being an adult and it's conferred on them adulthood, they at that point are supposed to take on the uh, vocation of their father. And here Jesus at 12 years old and it's important that, that the title or the, his age is given here. That at 12 years old, it's presumed that, that at this point it's conveyed on him adulthood. He then says that he is going to be about his father's business. I'm going to be in my father's house. I'm going to be about the things of my father. His dad's vocation. That in itself is an amazing thing. A very amazing thing. He has been at home in Nazareth with Mary and Joseph, but now in the temple he feels this pull to his very special vocation. This verse tells us that Jesus grew up in four dimensions. He grew up, and each of these dimensions is, is, is something that when held in um, high priority, each of these categories, you have a well-balanced person. So the idea that he grows is an important factor for us. It, it, it's an indicator to us that it's important because it's the very last statement made about Jesus' childhood. So wisdom goes beyond knowledge of facts to an understanding not just of what is, but of what counts and how to apply what is. That's the notion of wisdom. So he grew in wisdom. He grew intellectually. He grew in stature, right? It's this idea of, in terms of that original language, it's the idea of growing physically, but also growing spiritually. He grew in divine favor, uh, involves his relationship with God, and so that connection to the Father just continued to grow and grow more deeply. Not that, and this is a, a tenuous conversation at this point, because what does it mean for Jesus to grow And they talk about his relationship with the Father? And all I can say there is that, is that it is quite clear that Jesus was very intentional in his relationship with his Father. And, and so to suggest that he would pursue that, I think is an accurate thing to suggest. And he also grew in human favor, which talks about his relationships with other people. So you could say that he grew intellectually and emotionally. You could say that he grew physically. You could say that he grew, and we want to be careful with this, that he grew spiritually. He grew in his connection to the Father. Um, and he grew in connection, talking about relationship, and he pursued it. And then he also grew in his relationships with other people. In every single area and arena of life that we grow, Jesus grew. And the fact that Jesus increased in each of these dimensions shows that he had every intention of experiencing our condition, our world, our life, what it means to be a person who develops. 
The church will later emphasize that Jesus was fully God and fully human, and being fully human means that Jesus began life with the limitations of an infant. When he was first born, he couldn't feed himself. He couldn't walk. He had to be carried. These are the things that are true of the human condition. He grew to become a 12-year-old boy and later grew some more to become a man that we read later. Now, the one of the most encouraging passages of Scripture that we have as it relates to the idea of Jesus as humanity is not just this one that talks about the fact that Jesus grew, but we also have Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 that says this, For we do not have a high priest, this is talking about Jesus, who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. And so Jesus is unique. He has a a unique understanding of our plight, talking about uh, this chapter here in Hebrews. The Greek word here is the idea of to sympathize. It's actually, the Greek word itself is uh, sympathisai, sympathisai, which has come into the English word almost unchanged to mean to have our word actually sympathize. Jesus can feel for us in our temptations since he's experienced those temptations as well. And so instead of the cold, emotionless judge or flawed, fickle spirit, Christians worship Jesus. One who is both experienced in being tempted, but has overcome all of it, never having fallen into sin. As the next verse shows, it not only takes away our excuses for failure, but it also gives us a reassurance that we, when we fail, He will offer us mercy and compassion. So here's what we have. We have Jesus, in, in the narrative, there's a continuation of showing that Jesus is under the law, He's fulfilling the law, that He comes from a very pious family that was interested deeply in following after God. We have that Jesus at 12 years old, we're seeing the emergence of, of his intelligence, of his ability to engage religious leaders, but also his ability to understand and engage the Word of God. And then you have the fact that he grew. Well, I, I, and not only just that he grew, but he was growing towards the ministry that the Father had for him. He was shifting his allegiances from his earthly parents to his heavenly Father. Didn't you know that I would be in my father's house and about his business? And so you see this transference where from this point forward, it's no longer going to be about Joseph and Mary. As a matter of fact, you don't hear about Joseph again uh, until a little bit later when you start looking at some genealogies. You certainly hear about Mary, but even in about Mary, and we'll talk about that when that time comes as well, Jesus still chooses his allegiance to the father over his allegiance to his earthly parents. And so there's a shift that's taking place here. And in that shift, you see the growth of Jesus, you see the development of Jesus, you see the foreshadowing of what is to come. And part of that foreshadowing of what is to come is this notion of Jesus being a high priest who understands the human experience. That's what we have. We don't have a distant God who uh, just kind of sets the world in motion and then leaves it on autopilot. That's, that's not our God. We, we don't have a God who is, is completely unfamiliar with the human experience. That, that's not our experience whatsoever. We don't have a God who was just merely a human being who attained to some certain level of higher thinking. That's not what it is. We have Almighty God 
who became man, who lived the human experience, did not fall into sin in any way, shape, or form. And now that Jesus is our advocate in heaven, speaking on our behalf. This is an amazing narrative, historical account of Jesus coming to earth, growing up, and growing into what God would have him become. What an amazing story. We do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. What an amazing God we have. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you so much for our time here. And I know, Lord, that there's a lot of information that we could be pumping into sections like this in terms of giving us better understanding of the history and the context and stuff. But Lord, would we be a people who would be able to uh, be excited about some of those things, even if they don't seem exciting at the time, but that they would uh, open our eyes to our greater appreciation of you. That we would recognize that you were one who grew. That we would recognize that you were one who moved from your allegiance from your parents' household to that of your heavenly Father. That we, you would be about the things that are in your Father's home. And that you would grow. That you would grow in every single way that we grow. I thank you that because of that, we have the confidence of knowing that, that you're not just some distant entity out there, but that you are a personal redeemer who's able to understand everything about us. Would we look to you more, Lord? Amen.